everybody. Good morning, y'all. Good morning, good morning. Would you guys remain standing as we read God's word? So my name's Cameron. I'll be reading from Philippians 2, 1 through 11. We've actually got these, and Ben will probably talk about this at some point, but we've got these cards out there. These are, this is the scripture that we're sort of memorizing as we go through Philippians. Uh, so today's scripture reading is going to be 1, 1 through 18, but I'm going to read Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Uh, if you're using the blue Bibles, it's on page 570. So if you guys want to turn there now, I always recommend looking at that. So I'll give you guys a second for it. Philippians 2, 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my job by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thank you, guys. Good morning, everybody. Um, um, as uh, Cameron said, my name is Ben. Um, if we haven't met, I serve as an elder here, and I would love to, uh, if we haven't met, love to have the chance to chat with you. Um, I'll be up front here after the service. Would love to, uh, to say hi. So um, if you were here last week, uh, you heard our friends Miko talking about Paul and Silas uh, from Acts 16 when they were in Philippi uh, preaching the gospel and they were then imprisoned there. Um, this letter to the Philippians takes place about 10 years later. So it's about AD 60, 61, something like that. Um, ironically, Paul again is in prison, this time in Rome, uh, for preaching the gospel. Um, the structure of the book of Philippians, as we get into this series, is kind of like a mountain. I think it's a helpful way for me to think about it. Um, so our journey through this book is going to be like hiking up and down, up and down that mountain. Um, so. Today and next week will be in chapter one. It's filled kind of with this encouragement for this group of Christians for what they've been facing. Hey, let's persevere together. Let's continue to walk. And then the passage that, that Cameron read for us and the one that we're memorizing really is kind of the pinnacle. It's like, like the summit. It's, it's the mountaintop, okay? It's where we go and we are with Jesus. You hear, hear some of those things. If there's encouragement in Christ, look at him. Um, the mind that he had, he, he emptied himself, right? It's, it's kind of this, this is the pinnacle, this is the peak, this is what it's all about. And so that's, that's why every week throughout the course of this series, we're gonna continue to read that passage over and over and over so that as we're kind of hiking up over the next couple weeks, we're looking towards Jesus. And then as we're coming down the mountain on the other side, continue looking back to him for that encouragement that we need to continue to push through. Um, so like I said, today we'll be at Philippians chapter one, uh, page number 570, if that's where you are. I'm just going to read real quick just the first two verses to start, just kind of his, his opening, his greeting. Um, 
Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have who he wrote this to, right? He says to all the saints in Philippi. So he's writing that to each and every individual Christian, regardless of your status, regardless of your importance, if you trust Jesus, this is for you, right? This is for Liam, this is for Grayson, this is for, for everyone, right? Little, old, doesn't matter. This is for all of us, okay? Including the Seahawks fans. <laughs> Sorry. So um, one, one other thing you should know, so over the course of this series, uh, I'm going to be preaching, one of my friends is going to be preaching, Matt Greco is going to be preaching for us, and all three of us are from Kansas City. Um, I actually sent them an email and said, hey, we got to talk about Kansas City in every sermon throughout the course of this, so just get ready. It's coming. It is coming. Um, to all the saints in Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Okay, so the overseers, elders, pastors, the deacons, the people in leadership, and the people that have committed to serving the church. Right, makes complete sense that he would write this to Josh Obendorf, I mean, who wouldn't, right? Um, but he's also writing it to me. <laughs> he's also writing to Lindsay and Chris leading the community group, right? He's writing it to, to Beck and Mallory serving in kids. He's writing it to, um, to Cameron reading scripture for us. He's writing it to Dara on the welcome team. He's writing this to everyone who has said, hey, I'm gonna step in. I want to be involved. I want to help. I want to use the gifts that God has given me to lead. I want to use the gifts that God has given me to serve. So he writes that to us as an individual Christian in our relationship with Jesus, but also then in our role with our community, right? So it's, it's to the individual and to the community, which means it's to us as a family as well. So he kind of touches every part of the Christian life just here in how he greets them, which is fantastic. I love that. As I was preparing for this morning over the last several weeks, this section... Of, of my message was the one I struggled with the most, kind of this transition between that informational stuff and then really getting into it. Um, a few weeks ago, I started some, some weekly coaching sessions with a group called Tin Man Ministries. Um, if you're not familiar with uh, Tin Man, they exist to help Christians kind of find their heart again, like Tin Man and the Wizard of Oz needed to find his heart. That's what Tin Man Ministries is for. Um, my wife, Mallory, is very emotionally intelligent. She's e- easily able to articulate what she's feeling to get to, to a depth I struggle to do that well. Um, I've, I've been known to be called a robot at times. Um, there are times when that lack of emotional awareness actually serves our family well, because I can kind of just shut that part of me off and focus in a crisis, in an emergency. Um, our oldest has asthma, and we've had some you know, three in the morning ER trips, and I'm just, yep, let's go, let's get packed up, and, and let's get there. So there's times it serves me well. Um, doesn't always serve me well in relationship. Right? When, I, when I struggle to get to the level of depth that my wife can get to, it can leave us both feeling kind of lonely. That's just, that's just where I'm at. That's where we're at. It's always been there, just kind of in the background, always kind of part of our marital life. But the last six months in our life as Christians, in our, in our life as icon, in our life as leaders, it really has stirred up those things again. It's, it's been a very emotionally taxing season for us as a family. Um, as we talk about it, she is able to really quickly get to, yeah, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm feeling. I'm like okay, you're here, and I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm trying to get there. I'm, I'm trying to do it, um, but then I got to go to work. I just got to cut it off and, and put my head down and go to work, and, um, and it just has left us feeling, feeling kind of lonely to the point where I got, you know what? I'm going to keep trying pushing through, and it's not going to get there. I need, I need some help, so I reached out to Tin Man. It's a great, great organization. Um, this past Friday, so we were every Friday at 8 is, is when my call is with my coach. Um, he asked me how I was feeling about today. He's heard a little bit of my story, a little bit of our story, knows that, that I'm preaching a lot, so he's praying for us uh, right now. Um, 
told him I'm excited. I said, hey, I've, I've been thinking about this series since late February. Um, this year, God has used Philippians in my life, just my personal relationship with him, in some really powerful ways to encourage and sustain me. And I feel like there's a ton here for us as a church. Um, so while I haven't been like writing things out, I've been preparing for this from the beginning of the year. But I felt like, man, there's just there's something. I don't know what it is yet, but something is missing. I probably just, you know, tonight I'll, I'll get into it, and I'm sure I can just kind of, again, put my head down, gut through, and just kind of figure it out. Um, knowing a little bit about me, knowing where I reached out to Tin Man, he said, okay, but when you sit down at the end of the service, what are you hoping that you feel? I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, I have always loved uh, what we call the Pauline epistles, right? The section of the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. Since I was in high school, this has been my, my favorite section of Scripture. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, those four books. Um, I love them so much. And I've loved them because it speaks to my head, right? There's, there's in three verses, there's this profound doctrine, this, this incredible theology, this teaching of who God is that's easy for me. Like, that, that's what I love. That, that's what I get to. That's, that's where a lot of my faith is, is a lot of... A lot of head knowledge, but this year, this book has been so impactful for me because it has given words to what I'm feeling, right? If I, I can't access some of those deeper emotions naturally, it's not easy for me to get there, and these words have helped me to do that. They've given, given me words like, God, I'm feeling something, and then I read this like, oh, that's what I'm feeling. Paul, what Paul wrote, that, that's where I'm at. Um, my prep for this morning felt really incomplete because, again, I was trying to communicate what has meant so much to me in my heart intellectually. It's like, yeah, here's what the words say. I'm going to say what the words say, but I, that, that piece was just missing because, again, that's my natural bent. Um, so my hope for this morning, for this entire series, is that as we walk through it together, that we will strengthen our, our head knowledge of who God is, his character, who we're supposed to be as a church, um, but I also want us to feel the joy that Paul felt when he wrote these words, right? This has traditionally been called the epistle of joy, because he uses the word joy or rejoicing once every uh, six and a half verses. I mean, it's 104 verses long, and he mentions that 16 times. That's just the dominating emotion that's here. It's just this love and joy that he has for this church. I want us to, to feel that together and not just understand what the words say. I'll take a break and pray real quick. Um, I need a lot of help, again, to get into that place in my heart. So, Father, thank you, for, thank you for this group. Thank you for this family, Lord, that, that means so much to me. Um, thank you for, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us words when we don't have them. Lord, thank you that your spirit intercedes for us um, when we can just groan and don't have words. Lord, thank you that, that all of that is true and that you walk with us and before us. And just ask that as we, as we journey through this book together, Lord, that the, the truth of who you are will be clear and evident, that the, the love that you have for us Will be, will be clear and evident as well, and that the joy that exists in living in community, Lord, that that will shine through, that we can experience and grow in that joy together. Um, Father, speak through me. I ask that your spirit will be present with us and teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen. What is the gospel? If I asked you to turn to the person next to you, explain what the gospel is, what would you say? Gospel's a word and a phrase that we talk about in church all the time, right? But we don't always take the time to clearly define it. Right? We say that the gospel speaks to what you're feeling. It, it, is, it is the fix for whatever pain that you're in. It's, it's the thing that's missing from your heart, right? Um, we say that we act a certain way because of the gospel in our lives. We say it so frequently 
that if you don't really understand what it is, it's almost embarrassing to ask because it's like, oh, that's that Christian word that maybe we don't talk about enough. Or it can lose its significance, right? You, re- you read the same passage of, of Scripture over and over. Um, Philippians 4.13 is a great example. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me, which is not about scoring touchdowns. <laughs> um, but it loses its significance when we say it over and over and never really get into it. The first century Roman Empire hated the gospel. They hated Christianity. And even more than all of that, they really hated uh, the Jewish people. Jews were viewed as, as second-class people. Uh, the historians talking about first century Roman culture describe it There's almost like this visceral reaction, al- almost like Germany in, in World War II, just this, oh, they are a less-than people. Um, so a Jewish Christian was like, oh, you're the lowest of the low. No one, no one likes you, right? At this point in their history, the Roman Empire um, was the dominated empire, and they had what's called a polytheistic society, meaning many gods. Um, and they worshiped Caesar as a divine ruler. Right? Ancient Romans were okay with a religion that brought in a god they weren't familiar with. They actually had in one of their temples, they had an altar to the unknown god to make sure they didn't offend some god they weren't aware of. Um, as long as you worship Caesar as the first. Right? Worship Caesar and then you can do whatever you want. We don't care. Submit to his rule. Do whatever you want. We don't care. Add on other gods, other authorities. That's fine. Caesar's first. So the problem they had with Christianity wasn't that it was another god, or even that it was, it was this you know, one god and three persons. It was that it was one god and three persons, and it's not Caesar. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not the current ruler of Rome. Christianity also teaches that God is the ultimate authority for life, morality, ethics, not Roman law. To make sure everyone's offended, right, it also teaches that Jesus is a savior that we need. You don't need the Roman military, you don't need Roman culture, you need Jesus. Okay, it's, Christianity was more than countercultural in this time and space. It was offensive. It was insubordinate. It was blasphemous. It threatened the wealth and power of the Roman government because if you don't need them, you need Jesus. Why would you listen to him? When Paul and Silas were imprisoned in Philippi, the statement that was made about them was, these men are Jews, teaching things that are not lawful for us as Roman citizens. That was enough for them to be beaten, mocked, thrown in prison, chained to the wall. If you're here, you know, Miko described they were chained up in stocks because they were teaching things not lawful. That was breaking the law. Just teaching something contrary was breaking the law. Teaching the gospel is breaking the law. Paul actually was a Roman citizen, but he was so committed to Jesus, they assumed he was just a Jewish Christian because he didn't look like them anymore. Ten years after all of that, ten years after this, his first trip to Philippi, he wrote these words. Let's pick it back up in verse 3. So Philippians 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, 
to the glory and praise of God. I'm going to go back through and read, read some of the phrases here. I just want you to just listen. Listen for the, the emotion that is in these words. Like I said, Paul, he's writing from this, this place of deep love for this group. So just listen to some of the emotion here. Right? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, and it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That last one's a little bit interesting. When he says, God is my witness, um, this was a time when uh, the, the, the stoic kind of influence in this culture, taking oaths was kind of a, a thing that people did a lot, and there was actually was a lot of uh, teachings, hey, don't, don't take meaningless oaths, don't take these things, don't swear. There, there's a lot of just uh, careless kind of oath-taking and, and all these types of things. Um, so for Paul to stand up and say, hey, God is my witness, I swear by the God that we worship, how much I care for you was a big deal. That was significant. Why? Right. What is it about this group of people that means so much to Paul? Like I said, you know, we talked about it. Paul and Silas were in Philippi. They preached the love of Jesus. They were there for a few days. They were arrested, thrown in jail. They even were able to use that situation to save the jailer. But this, this type of love, this type of depth of what he's talking about doesn't come with just a shared experience for a few days, right? I did, uh, did missions trips and stuff, you know, senior in high school and met this, this group of this church down in New Orleans. This was a few years after Hurricane Katrina, so we were going down there to, to support some of that and made some really cool friends in that, in that week and a half that we were there. I don't even remember their names anymore, right? It was, it was a shared experience. It was cool, but it was a one-time thing, and then we, we moved on, right? That's not what Paul's describing here, right? He, this, there's a depth of, of relationship here. I think he tells us in verse 5 when he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So that word, that word partnership, uh, the Greek is koinonia. I think I said that right. Um, koinonia, it means what is shared in common as the basis of fellowship, partnership, or community. So the word, uh, anytime we see the word fellowship in the New Testament, typically is the same Greek word. But the idea is it's what's shared in common, and it uh, usually is more of a legal term. In, in the culture of the day, it was kind of this legal like business partnership. So think about it that way. From a business perspective, co-owners of a business are living in this, in this koinonia, right? So what happens? Two people launch a business together, okay? You invest a lot of money in that. You attach your name to it, your reputation to it. If you're good business partners, you're both equally contributing, equally invested, equally committed. Right? It's kind of everything. So let's imagine... I don't know who's reading when I, when I have this example. Let's say I opened a restaurant with Cameron Marty. If you don't know, Cameron is, is a YouTube chef, makes great food. Um, we decide, hey, we're going to follow in the footsteps of, of Hershey, of Kraft. We're going to open a restaurant. Um, we want people to know that it's us, so we, we name it the Marty Wish All Diner, which is probably confusing because it sounds like a first name or a last name, but it's all right. <laughs> Cameron's the head chef, right? He's, he's coming up the menu. He's training the kitchen staff. He's sourcing all the best food, the ingredients. He's finding the right vendors to partner with. Um, I know my place is to not be in the kitchen unless he breaks a door. Um, <laughs> so my focus is front of house, right? I'm going to work with the wait staff. I'm going to work with the bartenders. I'm going to work, make sure the bathrooms are clean. I'm going to do the things to make sure that you walk in. Oh, yeah, I want to sit down here. And then Cameron's going to deliver 
great food, we, and we, we're all in. We seek our life savings into it, right? Our, as the finances of this restaurant goes, so go our personal finances, our families, right? This is it. We're committed to each other. We're committed to this vision. We're committed to this idea, this dream, right? We're walking in koinonia, in partnership together. As time goes on, right, Cameron's food is, blows up, becomes super famous. I don't mess up my part of things, just kind of make sure it happens. So we decide, hey, we're going to open Marty Wish All South and, and East and West. And then, hey, let's hop over to Oregon and Idaho and, you know, let's, and we go from this quaint kind of local thing to this widely recognized brand across the region, across the country. At that point, what happens to our names? Okay. When you hear Heinz, what do you think of? Ketchup. Not Henry John Heinz, who founded the company back in the 1800s, right? You think of ketchup. You meet someone with the last name Heinz, like, oh, you like the ketchup? Like, you associate that name with the brand, not with the person they descended from, right? The name becomes bigger than, than just who you are. That reputation expands. If our restaurant exploded, my brother in Colorado with the last name Wishall would get associated with that brand, right? He has nothing to do with it, but just because he shares that, that common name, he gets associated with anything that happens, good or bad. Our siblings, kids, extended family, their lives are altered forever because of this thing that happened to our name. Now what happens if there's a scandal, right? Cameron gives somebody salmonella, right? I, I lose sight of what's going on and start embezzling money, whatever it is, right? It's on the news. Our names are tarnished forever, right? Our lives are impacted forever. Anyone with the last name Marty or Wishall is now associated with this negative thing that just happened. Nothing they could do about it, it just happened, and now they have to bear that burden. That's just part of it, just because they're connected, right? That type of, of partnership, name, that association, that's what Paul's talking about when he says, you partnered with me, right? Every Christian that has ever lived is associated with every other Christian that's ever lived, regardless of how good or bad they are. Growing up in the Midwest, um, there's a church in Topeka, Kansas, Westboro Baptist Church, uh, led by a guy named Fred Phelps, um, and they are one of the most hateful and hurtful groups of people you'll ever meet. Uh, they would come, uh, come into Kansas City, come into the big city with signs. Uh, their, their website is actually uh, godhatesfags.com. That's their church website. And that's their message is, hey, this, God hates you because you sin. That's, that's their whole, that's their platform, that's their message, right? And they claim the name Baptist. They claim the name Christian. So going to college in Kansas City, being a part of a ministry on campus, I had someone ask me once, oh, so are you, are you like that group of people that comes up and accosts people and tells them why they're going to hell? Said, no, no, we're, we're a different type of Christian, right? We're associated, but we're associated with that brand. We're associated with that, regardless of what we say or do, because we have the name Christian, that's just what we're associated with. Obviously, our hope is that that partnership wouldn't be like that. It would be this kind of this joyful one that Paul describes. Um, but for the Christians in Philippi, to be associated with the name Christian, to be associated with, with that, that brand, um, Paul tells them, hey, you were partakers with me of grace in my imprisonment and in my defense of confirmation of the gospel, Right? Paul was imprisoned. The Philippian church was imprisoned. They were, they were thrown into jail. They were beaten. They were abused. 
So if that's the case, right, why, why is Paul filled with joy when he thinks about him? If he knows, hey, the things that I faced in Philippi, the things that I faced in Rome, the things that I faced across my missionary journey, you're facing that also. Why is there so much joy? Why is there so much encouragement in that? Right, it's not because he's not excited that they're being beaten. It's, excited, it's they're excited because of their partnership in the gospel, Okay. When Paul wrote these words, he was probably the most famous Christian in the world at the time. There weren't that many of them yet. He'd been traveling around that region for over 10 years, planting churches, seeing just be transformed. He could have easily said, hey, I pray with joy when I think of you because of your partnership with me as I plant churches across the Roman Empire. I, I have so much joy because you are walking with me and what God's doing through me. Right? No one would have cared. No one would have noticed. It would have even seemed right. Okay? But he didn't say that. In fact, a little bit later here, there's, you actually see there are people who wanted to be like, hey, I'm Team Paul. They wanted to have that association with him because he was such a, such a big deal. And Paul wasn't, wasn't having any part of that. In verses 12 through 18, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Not my ministry, it's to serve to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. When he says the whole imperial guard, that was about 9,000 Roman soldiers. Not that he preached the gospel to 9,000 Roman soldiers, but he was the guy in prison that they would guard that was joyful, that was singing, that was praising, and, and the word got around, right? He's, his word has gotten around through the Roman military. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former pro proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So Paul says, hey, I've been thrown in jail, and that has given people boldness and courage to step up and continue to speak. More people are talking about Jesus now because I'm in prison. And this is where some of, some of the people here that he's writing to were upset, that yeah, all these other people, they're stealing your thunder, right? They're coming in, they're talking to that group of people that you were talking to. They're taking your followers away. Some of them are doing it sincerely. Some out of envy, out of rivalry. Um, it's important to note, he's not, he's not saying, oh, it's okay that people are teaching a false gospel. That's not what was happening here. Um, and you see at the beginning of Galatians, he opens it by saying, hey, you've forgotten everything I told you. Stop teaching false truth. So this, these people, that when he says envy, rivalry, it wasn't they were teaching something false. They weren't leading people astray. But it was more, hey, they find an opportunity to kind of make a name for themselves. Oh, here's this, this group of Christians. They need, they need someone to go talk to them. I'll go talk to them. I'll be that guy, right? I'll step up. I, that I can actually connect with. That makes sense to me because there's that idea of, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the one up on stage and everyone's going to listen to me, right? That, that's the temptation. That's the, oh, they're, they're not sincere like you are, Paul. They're, whatever. He's like, so what? Are they preaching the gospel? Yeah. Are people coming to Jesus? Yeah. Who cares? Stop worrying about it, Right? I'm glad I'm in prison because more people are talking about it. This is a good thing. There's, there's no rivalry here. There, there's no whatever. The point is the gospel is being preached, and that is what gets me excited. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. That's what's important. He felt that even in, in prison, these people that were almost rivals, trying to be rivals of his, he felt a partnership with because they were preaching the same message. A couple weeks ago, uh, Liam and I, our 10-year-old, we went to Kansas City for the 4th of July. Uh, we have a picture of our family. Um, it was a great trip. 
So we'll see. We'll see if the screen's working. Maybe not. Um, if you don't know, I'm one of, there we go. I'm one of six kids. Okay, so I'm uh, top, I'm third over from the left in the top. Sun's out. I got my guns out. Um, <laughs> um, it was great. We had a good time. Um, my parents do not have the same size house as they did when we were all kids because we've moved out and my dad doesn't want to take care of a big house anymore. So they have downsized. There's 23 of us. Um, it was complete chaos. It was great. I loved it. We were playing board games. At one point, it was like, hey, there's three different tables and three different board games happening at the same time. One of them was catchphrase, which like beeps and you have to shout. And so it was like just like just pure chaos. Um, one of my mom's brothers like invited himself over and I was like, what's up, man? He's like, oh, I just had to see this. And like, no, he spent like 30 minutes just kind of looking around like, just, it was great. We had, we had a lot of fun. Um, on Tuesday, the actual fourth, so there's the ex- uh, extended family, right? That's 42 people now because um, my mom has four siblings. <laughs> um, we had a good time. We went swimming in their pool, grilled hot dogs, shot off fireworks. Uh, I got to see actually my friend that's going to be preaching for us in a couple weeks. He was selling fireworks, so I went and got to see him for a few minutes too. We had a really good time. Um, one of the things I was really looking forward to was having the opportunity to catch up with uh, Jim and Kathy. My, my mom's sister, Kathy, her husband, Jim, um, they spent 24 years as missionaries. Right? From 1997 to 2011, they were in El Salvador. And from 2012 to 2020, they were in Cairo, Egypt. Uh, their ascending church in the late 90s was the uh, Kansas City Baptist Temple, which is now called uh, Graceway. And they have a lot of other partner churches across the country that have supported them financially or, or in different ways um, through the 24 years they spent outside of the U.S. Um, but in particular, I was super excited for this conversation because I wanted to see if they remembered uh, one of our partners here at Icon, Christina Romero. So if you don't know, Christina and I figured out a couple years ago that we went to the same college in Kansas City, go Kangaroos, that was our, that was our mascot. <laughs> um, we, went, we actually went at the same time, graduated the same year, but never met uh, until we both moved to Seattle. Um, we also, through the course, have figured out that uh, Christina and her family were members at the Kansas City Baptist Temple that sent my aunt and uncle out to El Salvador back in the late 90s. Um, so in the midst of 42 people, I was able to find a few minutes to sit down with Kathy and just, and just have a conversation. Um, as soon as I said the name Romero, she listed off Christina's parents, her aunt and uncle, all, and like just, just rattled off all these facts about them. Like just, she was just so excited. It was really fun to kind of see and hear her talk about it. And um, in particular, she talked about Christina's uncle, John, who is now a pastor in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So he, was, he was in Kansas City originally, uh, moved, kind of moved back home to New Mexico, planted this church. And when, and when they opened this, uh, when he moved to New Mexico, they continued to, their church there continued to support my aunt and uncle in their missionary journey across the world. Throughout those years, anytime they were back in the States, uh, Jim and Kathy, they, obviously they'd come to Kansas City, but they'd also go to some of these other partner churches that had faithfully supported them for so long and, and just share about, about their missionary journey, about what God was doing um, and, and what was happening there. Um, but what, what, I, what was so fun about that conversation, what I remember so distinctly, was as soon as I said Romero, my Aunt Kathy, like she sat up, she lit up, she was so excited, like, well, you, how, what? It, it was just this kind of, a little bit of a disbelief for her. Um, but then as she talked about him, there was so much joy in her voice, hearing her share about these friends that had supported them in their calling to preach the gospel across the world year after year after year, how faithfully they prayed for them, how faithfully they supported them financially. Um, when she thought about their partnership with, in the gospel, she was filled with so much joy from the first day they went out in 1997 
until now. As we continue to talk, I told her, um, Christina and I have been, have been at Icon together now for a few years. Um, she's helping lead our community group. Um, Christina and my wife Mallory have been regularly meeting along with a couple others to study the Bible on a regular basis. Um, again, the more I shared, the more joy I could just see in her face and hear from her. And the more joy that, that I felt from her, the more joy I started to experience through what she was sharing. Right? I, I shared in her joy because of, you know, it was this, this really neat experience. Um, and God, God's so cool, right? So 24 years of their life, my aunt and uncle devoted 24 years of their life, and Christina's aunt and uncle supported them financially. Right? Jim and Kathy, they came back in 2020. They came back from Egypt. It was right around that same time that Christina and I started to figure out that we were from the same place and started to walk together in community. Right? This, now this has become this family legacy. Right? My family and Christina's family have been walking together for the gospel from 1997. It's been passed on to a second generation now. I mean, how, how amazing is that? How cool is that? that? That the gospel of Christ can connect generations, it can connect people, it can connect families around the, literally around the world. You know, Christine and I never met in Kansas City. It took us moving 2,000 miles away, but we're continuing to walk together for the sake of the gospel. There's so much joy in that, just that shared passion and commitment to Jesus, right? Can you feel that with me? The reason that Paul tells the Philippians about the joy he has isn't just to tell them something nice, right? He wants to tell them that story. He wants to paint the picture of who God is of how he provides, how he's weaving our lives together across time and space so that they can share in that joy as well, so that they can feel, oh, this is why you're so sold out for that. I want that also, right? I hear that joy and that passion from you. I want that joy too, right? It's, it becomes this reciprocal, oh, yeah, no, I, I see. That makes sense, right? It's exciting to think about it, talk about relationships, talk about all these things, um, but if that's all it becomes, right, if it's just this, oh, this, this cool excitement today, Right? It disappears as soon as we leave. Right? Sustaining joy in the midst of that trial is found in the gospel. It's found in Jesus. Right? That's, that's, where that, that's where that continued, that, um, that energy to be a missionary for 24 years, that's where that comes from. The energy to be imprisoned time and time again for the sake of the gospel in Philippi and Rome and all these places, it comes from Jesus. That's, it has to be about Jesus. If it becomes about us, if it becomes about this cool family relationship, then as soon as that ends, then the joy's gone because it's temporary, it's not, it's not found in anything bigger, it's not found in anything permanent. All right, so I asked at the beginning, what's the gospel? At, at its most basic, the gospel is the news. Back in Genesis, mankind was created to walk in relationship with God. Perfect love, perfect peace, perfect submission and obedience to our creator. God saw everything he made and it was very good. And then mankind chose sin. So sin and darkness entered the world and we continually choose ourselves to choose our selfishness to reject God. God, even though we turn our backs on him, he loves us, desires to walk in relationship with us. But to do that, right, there must be a payment. The wages of sin is death because a holy God cannot compromise his holiness. He cannot compromise what it means to be God. There has to be a payment for sin. Jesus is that payment. Jesus came to earth as a human, lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we deserve, taking the wrath of God on himself for the sins of all mankind, and then he rose from the dead, forever defeating the power of sin and death. Romans tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's the gospel at its most basic, but that's only the beginning. Okay? The gospel is our entire life with Jesus. 
Paul says here, right in verse six, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Right, that message of forgiveness of sin is the beginning, and then it's in our entire lives until Christ comes and returns and makes all things right again. The good news of the gospel of Christ, the joy that Paul had with the Philippians because of the gospel is that one day we're gonna be restored to how things were originally were created to be. We have a taste of that now, right? Christ forgives us, we're walking with him, we're able to have relationship. There's struggle, there's pain, there's hardship, there's, there's difficulty, but we get tastes of it, we get pieces of it. And the more committed we are to Jesus, the more committed we are to that, the more of him that we get, the more that we taste, the more that we feel, the more of that, that final joy that is coming, the more we experience today. And that, that's the joy that Paul's writing about here. He finishes the section by telling the Philippians, hey, here's how I'm praying for you. Verse nine, he tells them, this, this is my prayer. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. When the Pharisees asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, do you remember that answer? There was someone who said, hey, teacher, what, what, is, what is the greatest commandment? What is number one? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Paul's prayer for the Philippians was that their love would abound more and more. That they would obey the greatest commandment of God, to love God and love one another. And that they would do that with knowledge and discernment. Right? Walking in wisdom in this world, not being pulled away by every wind of worldly doctrine, Approving only what is excellent, only what is pure, only what is blameless. Because, because when we do that, right, we're walking in the truth of the gospel and love for God and love for each other. When we test and discern what's happening in the world around us, we are filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Right, the fruit of righteousness, right, including love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? When that happens, when we're in the midst of the storms of life, in the midst of the passions of the world trying to pull our hearts away from him, we are able to stand firm. Our lives are filled with the fruits of righteousness. It brings glory and praise to God and he fills us with joy because that's what we were created to do from the beginning. The gospel of Christ teaches us what it means to love. Paul pray, prayed, for his, prayed for the Philippians, prayed for his partners in the gospel, that their love would abound more and more. Because he knew that if their love for God grew, the love for each other would grow, their obedience to God would grow. And that's how life works best. The, if you've never read it, the Jesus, Jesus Storybook Bible for kids, it's fantastic. And one of the things it talks about is, is the Bible tells us how life works best. Because God knows how life works best. And this is how life works best when we are filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, when we are abounding in love and obedience to him, that's how life works best. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it's how it works the best. This church in Philippi, right, makes me think of our church here, okay? Four years ago, Labor Day weekend, Icon Church officially launched. Six months later, COVID shutdowns, right? We were gathering online in, in ways we never had 
in the history of the church for a year, for a full year, right? Restrictions start to get lifted, we're able to meet in person, and then a couple months later, our founding pastor for the well-being of his family moved away. All right, so we go from launch to COVID to founding pastors moving in a very short amount of time, right? Over the coming months, we installed a new lead pastor, right? Steve was our first elder, and then in December, Josh and I went to all his elders, and the wheels really fell off at that point. <laughs> that, that was it. <laughs> uh, the Philippians were faced with trials, right? They were beaten, abused, thrown in prison, and they responded by uniting together for the sake of the gospel. They continued to persevere as a community, seeking the Lord together. We're faced with trials, right? Archer's been faced with trials, living in a culture that doesn't want us to love Jesus, right? Jewish Christians were lowest of the low. People in Seattle don't want you to, to believe the Bible. They don't want you to trust Jesus, right? That's, that's just the reality of, of what it means to live here. But as Paul did, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayers of, with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Right? This community has come together in amazing ways. And that's when I said these, these words, these have given, given words to what I feel that that's why because we're still here, we're still doing this, we're still pushing together, seeking him together, and there is so much joy to be found in community pursuing Jesus for the sake of the gospel, and I am sure of this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, began a good work in us, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Right? This is the joy that Paul had, that I have, the joy that's available to us, to you, to be devoted to Jesus. Even before you confessed and believed, he was beginning a good work in you and he's gonna finish it. He said, I'm sure of this, he's going to finish it. At the beginning of time, when God created the world, he looked at it and said, hey, this is very good. That day's coming again. And that's why we celebrate communion every week. Right? Because the way that we were, how we were created to be is coming again, but we get to taste it today also. There's a joy, there's a love, there's a peace that, ha that can happen when we seek Jesus, when we believe the gospel, made possible by his sacrifice on the cross. It's the only way it's possible for us now. That's what we remember with communion, that's what we're remembering with communion today, is the body of Christ broken, the blood of Christ shed, so that you and I can experience the joy of living in relationship with our Father today. I'm gonna pray, and then when you, when you, as you feel led, come forward, receive communion, we'll continue to worship together. Father, thank you for community. Thank you for how you have woven us together, bringing people from different walks of life, different places, different cities, different countries, um, all with the same partnership in mind, Lord, and that is, that is your gospel, that is your truth, that is Jesus. Lord, even when, even when your name is tarnished by the sins of people, Lord, you are not. You are faithful, you are true, you are right. Our joy can still be full in you even when negative things happen. Lord, it's just, I'm so thankful for this group of believers, Lord, this, this, this family that you have used to encourage me so much this year. Jesus, I'm thankful for your sacrifice. I'm thankful that because of your death on the cross, because of your, your resurrection, that we are able to walk in joy and love, worshiping you together. We pray in your name. Amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. 
During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online, we encourage you to take a moment to reflect on and respond to what the Spirit might be telling you in response to what you've heard. For more resources and to find out how you can join with us on Gathering on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. And as we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.